0: In 1458, a man by the name of Benedetto Cotrugli, living in what is now Croatia, wrote a manuscript called Book on the Art of Trade. It was essentially a manual on how to be a successful merchant, a Renaissance businessman's self-help book, if you will, and tucked away in an appendix, he described a technological advancement we have since labeled double-entry bookkeeping. This afterthought to Cotrugli's book, is arguably one of the foundations of modern banking. It is the balance sheet, and no self-respecting bank or credit union exists without one. I'm Zach Garver, and you're listening to Thinking Outside the Vault. Today, Andrew Swinney and I sat down with Kasasa's chief innovation officer, John Wapsh, to talk about the next big tech advancements in the banking industry. His answer may surprise you, and you may not even think it compares to the invention of double-entry bookkeeping. But remember, once upon a time, even the balance sheet was newfangled. All right, John, uh, really appreciate you taking time to talk with us today about technology and banking. Um, excited to share some of this with the FIs that will be listening to our podcast. Um, and the main question we have today is just, what are the technologies that FIs should be paying attention to uh, in 2019 and 2020? What are the big things that are going to be affecting how their business runs?
1: Oh boy, that's, that's a, uh, it's kind of opening up a, a huge discussion here, but I, I, I'd say you, you can kind of separate your question into two separate sort of distinct um, foci. One is uh, the technologies that will be enabled that that uh, will compete or change the competitive landscape for institutions, and then the other one, which is probably the question behind your question, which is, what are the things, the technologies, the um, the ones and zeros? What is it that uh, institutions should embrace today to be prepared for the future? Yes, yeah, that and, is a great
0: way to separate that.
1: Yeah, and, and both of them are um, are. Uh, I, I guess, I guess to, to kind of put a finer point on it, I I'd, I'd see them, I see them as, um, as two separate sort of discussion points, but obviously pretty well linked. Um, so if we were to, if we were to just say broadly, let's leave the competitive landscape alone for now and just talk about the institutions themselves. Um, <laughs> The biggest, before we even get into a discussion on, on what technologies are really going to shape, uh, you know, 2020 or even 2019, there's, there's this fundamental need that institutions have of actually, um, taking the reins on their data, understanding the data, um, and, uh, you know, uh, housing it in a way that they can allow other companies to access it securely, mm. um, uh, and you know, th- there's there's probably uh, million, yeah, let's I, I, say hundreds of thousands of dollars of effort there, and uh, um, and years of labor hours depending upon how an institution chooses to take off that or, or to fight off that challenge. Some institutions will choose, for instance, to build their own enterprise data warehouse to hire a bunch of uh, engineers and, um, and start making sense of their data. Other institutions will partner up with companies um, choosing to perhaps use the other company's uh, uh, expertise and, um, and investment in, um, in understanding data, mapping bank, banking data, securitizing, et cetera, um, and kind of riding on their coattails for, or their investment for making sense of the institution's own, um, uh, kind of understanding of where it is. And, and, you know, certainly that, uh, you know, that baseline, work that, that that foundational work that needs to be done um is not a small task it's not uh, it's not something that uh that can be skipped over either and i think so often i hear discussions about banking technologies and and where the market is headed but's but uh but the discussion around what should an institution do first is usually lacking. And that first sort of uh, step is putting your arms around your data, understanding that, um, that, that is the lifeblood of your company moving forward. Mm. And, and without a firm grasp on, um, on, uh, on visualizing that data, understanding that data, uh, uh, being able to quickly analyze it, have it, uh, be able to give you predictors or predictions. So where, um, where your business is headed or which business is leaving <laughs> um, you, you, you know, you're just, you're flying more blind than you were even a few years ago. Um, and so, so that's, that's kind of the, the, the very first thing that I, I just feel sometimes kind of gets lost in the shuffle because it's, it's not glamorous work. It certainly can be very expensive and, um, uh, it can be very, very challenging for institutions who are not necessarily in, um, you know, tech talent centers, which a lot of community institutions aren't, uh, to find the talent to actually do it all in-house. And, um, but whether you do it in-house or you use a partner to uh, figure out where your where your um, where your data is and where you're headed as a, as a company, you just can't, you can't, you can't get to point B without going through point A. Um, and so, so, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's work that every financial institution that wants to be around for the next couple of years at a minimum, um, needs to start, uh, doing today. And I've, I've talked to many institutions who are kind of in the throes of this and, you know, at varying stages. And, you know, it's, it's fair to say that if you're trying to do it yourself, it's a multi year, uh, often multi million dollar engagement.
0: Wow. I mean, it sounds like this is as fundamental a uh, shift is like, hey, you need to have an internet connection at your bank and a website. Like there was a period of time where people didn't have that, like FIs didn't have those. But pardon me for using a little acronym speak here. When I say FI, what I mean is financial institution. That's one of the ways that we refer to uh, small banks and community credit unions around Casasa. If you're going to exist today as an institution, like you got to have those things at some base level. So if you're going to If you're going to jump into the next stage of technology for banking, like you got to have, you got to have some kind of data strategy. Is that,
1: it is, that that is a, it's a great analogy. The one, the one thing that, um, that I, I just really want to, want to caution. Like, I think when, when I don't want to say in order to get to the next stage of technology or the future, you need to do this because I think that, um, that sets the stage like almost like there's a choice. like, oh well, you know, I don't need to do that. So of course, I don't need to be able to understand my data. That's fine. I can skip over that and just the reality is that um, banking has shifted. This is not John Wapsh's crystal ball or financial Brand's crystal ball. This is this is, uh, this is history now that banking has shifted from being a, uh, relationship, a personal relationship business where I, I put on a, uh, a, my, my Sunday best to go into the bank to shake somebody's hand so that maybe you treat me really nice or think that I have more money than I do or whatever the case may be. And, and you get to know me and you get to know my family, uh, uh by way of voice and me sitting across the table from you and laughing at your jokes and drinking your coffee and eating your popcorn. Uh, But the business has shifted from that world where the banker and banking team understood their humans that banked with them and knew them well to a world where humans are connected through devices. Even your bank or your credit union has created a conduit for me to not have to see you. And so if I don't have to see you, I'm going to choose not to, especially if I owe you money and, and, uh, and I'm going to interact through these channels and that's not a good or a bad thing. It's just the reality of the way that the, that the world has shifted when it comes to banking. There are still people who are sitting across the desk from you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue that point that still exists. It will exist for some period of time, but the world has shifted. The data has shown that it, overwhelmingly increasing number of people and of banking interactions are happening digitally. And if they're happening digitally with your institution, then the reality is, and, and by the way, there can always be that silent cancer where uh, they're not happening digitally with your institution. That's because <laughs> they're not those, right? But right. if they are happening digitally with your institution, the only way to know about those customers or members is to look at the data and to understand the data, and have access to the data, and make sure that you're putting models on top of that data that tell you, hey, if somebody performs this way, maybe this means they're going to leave us within three months, and so I should run this type of marketing campaign, or I should run this type of um, of, of sort of reach to those to those humans, and so. So, you know, I I don't like couching the need for understanding your data under any form of the future. It's it's more of a recognition that um that in years, you know, over these past few years, most institutions have said, well, I could just I can I don't really need to engage in this or my Choose your provider. My core banking system is usually the one that institutions love to complain about. My my core banking system won't give me that data. So I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna kind of kick it off for another year or think about it in another three years. And it's just totally unacceptable to run your business that way um, when the wide breadth of tech of, of transactions, of data, of interactions are happening through are happening digitally. And also, um, um, the measurement of the value of those interactions is all available digitally. And uh, and the predictions on, um, on what people can do or where they're going or what they're buying or whatever need you need to fulfill in their lives all happen digitally, way more intelligently, way less risky, presuming you're doing things right,
0: than... When a human is is making those decisions, and what well, less biased. No, oh, that that totally makes sense. And this is kind of you know nerdy bank stuff. But I was just reading uh, something on the history of credit scores and what you know how lenders used to make decisions before the invention, shall we say, of the credit score, um, and how developing countries are you know kind of putting together their own versions of you know the FICO credit score. Like they wouldn't ever, no bank would dream of trying to lend without looking at a credit score, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, uh, gosh, to talk about early
1: credit scores, man, you're talking about some, some really nasty, nasty things that were done. And certainly you're seeing these kind of re re exhibit themselves. Like in China, for instance, people are aghast over here in the United States that, oh my gosh, they're doing credit scores based upon, you know, who your friends are or, uh, you know, uh, what religion you believe in or, um, or uh, who you're related to. And people are going, Oh my gosh, that's so uh, crazy and arcane. And, and, you know, how could they ever do that? Well, that is what our credit score was built on until about 1974. Unfortunately, uh, you know, if you, if you uh, uh, didn't go to the right church or you had the wrong color of skin or whatever you, yeah, you know, credit score was, uh, you know, tanked. Uh, but, um, but regardless, you're, you know, you're right that, that, that a lot of institutions today are, are, are thinking that they, you know, that, that and maybe this wasn't even your point, but it's, it's an interesting point that credit score is, um, you know, is often used in a lending. However, today, there are a wide variety of sort of data inputs that um, that have been proven time and again. For different types of lending to be much stronger uh, predictors of of uh, lending success than um, in repayments and everything else than than a, than a credit score, so you know. But but you're exactly right. I mean, I, you know, for so long banking relied upon that that data point to um, to manage its risk and to manage profitability, and that. Um, <clears throat> You know, it, it, there's there's just so much more data that's available to you out there that uh, that unfortunately institutions are not investing in, it, not and, and also not connecting the dots between um, uh, this 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 world of uh, understanding my data and of the value of data, the ROI, uh, what it is I'm spending to actually acquire a new customer, a new member, what it costs to retain them, and, and my marketing. And so, and so, you know, then the, you know that kind of takes us to the next step. Once you've once you've kind of brought your data into some world that that makes sense for you and for your institution, there's this next step of um, of connecting the dots with with marketing automation and uh, and you know just in time one to one level sort of uh, mapping of a consumer's needs and account holders needs and what it is that that you need and and making that offer at the right time to the right person. Uh, something that that has been so prevalent in commerce over the last you know 20 years with Amazon and everything else. I mean, you know, but, but, but it's uh, uh, just been lacking, especially on the um, community banking and, uh, you know, world. And, but it's, it's, it's available to literally any community bank, any credit union today can take advantage of marketing automation, one-to-one level uh, optimization of an account holder and, and, and my banking business. But, um, but institutions have a really hard time, um, delving into that world of marketing automation. Um, uh, effectively, because either they'll skip over all of the hard work of understanding where my business is today and who are these account holders and what do they need and all that stuff that we just talked about, they'll skip over that and buy a marketing automation system off the shelf that effectively, you know, sends some direct mail pieces or um, or sends some email based upon some very simple trigger skip over the work and so they won't they won't necessarily see the value that they could be seeing um, or they'll spend time effort and money creating their own uh um data, data warehouse and almost never get to the marketing automation project because they they you know um they're in this quagmire of uh of of building out a system or a set of systems that um, that are available from third parties. That makes sense. It sounds like um, it, almost if you buy it off the shelf, it's kind of weirdly nice, even if it fails, because there's that weird reassurance of, well, I did something. So, you know, my hands are yeah. I tried. Um, yeah, check pick the box, right? Yeah. And it didn't work. So I tried it. It
0: doesn't work. We can go back to the old way. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you know. Obviously, data is really impacting marketing initiatives and relationship management. Are there other aspects of the business that you feel like data is transforming? Or
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, this is this is so, and it gets to that second part of the question, which is the competitive sort of landscape. And and you can either, as an institution or as a, as a um, as a team at your institution, you can think of this as a competitive threat or an opportunity. Um, It'll certainly be a threat over the next couple of years. It's an opportunity today. Um, you know, over over in the UK back in 2016, there was this uh, initial sort of um, requirement for the big banks to open up their um, their consumer data, presuming that the co- consumer agreed the big banks had to give access to the data to third-party companies. And uh, um, startups and other licensed companies who had gone through some uh, essentially blessing that they could have access to this data. But what what that did is it created something called open banking. And a couple years later, UK kind of went even further with that uh, level of data that can be open to um, to allow a, a consumer uh, to effectively own their own banking data, where it goes, and allow companies that they want to have access to their banking data to open it up, and that's the concept of open banking. It's just effectively a um, a world where a uh, a third party can build cool um applications or banking accounts or whatever that whatever you want to think about, and then plug them into um the core or the backbone of a of a of a big institution or reading institution. And and that uh that prospect has that, that idea where a consumer controls their data, their banking data, which I mean, it sounds so silly to even say that it's that it's a new idea. That it's, but it is. It's something that um, <laughs> you know, banks, especially the bigger banks or just banks in general, credit unions, having, um, you know, they they've had this crazy luxury of being able to hold the consumer's data hostage, effectively, and and so you know, here in the states, we love to talk about yeah consumer inertia and and the the lack of you know hey it's so hard to get a consumer to actually leave your institution um and you know they'll they'll, they'll cite a bunch of things like oh, if they've got three bill pays set up they you know, takes them two times longer to leave or whatever the, the reality is that um you know there's there's part of that but but even bigger than that is 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 just a uh, um uh, a frustration that happens which is well all my all my history all my banking data sits sits here mm-hmm. and and so um uh this idea of open banking has certainly enamored a lot of people and companies that that exist here in the states as well as international companies like IBM or companies that, that do business around the, around the globe they had to get they were hired by these large institutions hsbc and uh, you know, Lloyd's and those kind of guys. They were hired by them to effectively help them create the capability that regulators were requiring, which was this idea that, oh my goodness, now this data needs to be available to third parties should the consumer say that they want it available to a certain third party. And it needs to be secure, and we need a way of vetting the third parties. And think of all of the Hornet's Nest of uh, questions. Uh, user stories that, that 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 would conjure up. Well, these very large companies had to build or were commissioned to build sort of solutions to these things, and the very large companies are, um, you know, also have roots here in the United States, and I think they're excited about making money off of all that investment. So there's pressure here in the United States for um, for banks especially the larger one, to start kind of thinking in the world of open banking. Um, uh, there's also uh, perhaps some regulatory banking. It, you know, it, it may take a, a, a kind of a sweeping change um, at an administration level to, to see some rules there. But, you know, you've already seen the CFPB comment on open banking and saying that it's really encouraged here in the United States. And that's that's a big thing, the fact that CFPB is even talking about this um, uh, so so when you think about open banking and and what a world might look like where um, instead of a, uh, a bank being uh, or a credit union being, sort of this vertical thing with all these different services all uh, built and grown inside the institution um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 new model, the model that is going to change, uh, banking here in the United States, whether it happens by 2020 or not, we'll see, but it's going to be this open banking competitive landscape where, uh, where banks and credit unions will need to think a lot more horizontally about which banking services they're, they're growing, um, internally, which ones are they going to kind of bundle in from other providers? Um, how are they going to allow their consumers to have this sort of data access that the government will um, perhaps require? And and that that shift to open banking is an awesome shift for consumers. And I think it's an awesome uh opportunity for institutions, should they invest the time, the resources. Uh, Today, if they sit back on their heels and they aren't understanding their own data, the very foundational stuff we talked about at the top of this, they aren't understanding what it costs to acquire customers and what their most profitable um, accounts are and all that kind of thing. If they aren't doing all of that work, the foundational work that's required, um, they're going to get mowed over in the world of open banking. Uh, so it's, it really is this, this you know, it, it will be a watershed for for banking. Um, and you'll see companies like Google and Apple and uh, Facebook and Amazon, these big digital giants that have brilliant on-roads, you know, brilliant onboarding, uh, um, excellent brands in the industry, depending upon who you talk to and, and who you're talking about, maybe Facebook a little bit less. Um, but, but uh, but they have, they have the money, they have, um, uh, you know, trust of at least enough consumers, um, that, that, you know, should that world come, come to light of open banking as an institution, you're going to want to be in there somewhere and you're going to want to be able to comply with those rules and not be shut down. So, so you got to put that time and energy in right now into you know really understanding your business and and ensuring that you're set up to work easily um, with uh, third party companies and not just you know oh my core owns this company so now I can work with them.
0: Yeah, those companies you listed are definitely ones who understand what to do with data, understand how to treat that like the product or the resource um, to, to, I guess, capitalize and build great
1: experiences for consumers or build products.
0: For the sake of time, we're going to stick a pin in this. You've been listening to part one of our conversation with John Watch on where banking tech is headed in the next few years. Obviously, data is key. And what you do with that data can make or break your community bank or credit union. In part two, we pick up with the question of what's the true purpose of a community financial institution and which consumers should be your real target. Thanks for listening to Thinking Outside the Vault, a podcast produced and distributed by Casasa. I'm your host, Zach Garver. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to our podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher, and leaving a review. It helps other listeners to discover us. You can also send your comments and feedback to social at kasasa.com.